Welcome to Splunk Talk, the only podcast that's all Splunk and no junk. I'm your host, Birch, and he... I'm Hal. Hi. And welcome to today's episode. This is Season 2, Episode 44. And today we're going to be joined by Luis Vasquez Gonzalez to talk about Federated Search. You could do it. To Amazon S3. You could do it. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. I I, I hope so, because that's what he's working on. We'll find out. Or baking tips. It could be either. One of the two. We'll see where it goes. Yes. We'll see where it goes. Happy Friday, Birch. Happy Friday. Um, This is being recorded at the uh, cusp of the Jewish New Year, so Lashana Tova, to those celebrating. And when this episode is released, it will probably be... (laughs) Far past, well into maybe the winter, next, maybe perhaps next Hanukkah, year's New Year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the real the the uh, Gregorian New Year will uh, will be where we're at. Um, um, it is it is on the cusp of fall here in, in Georgia. I don't know about where you're at. Oh, we're in fell. Fell. Okay, you've you've already fallen. Well, it's actually been really beautiful out, uh, but today woke up to like 50 degrees. Oh wow! Uh, and the body was not ready for that. Yeah, yeah, we're not there yet. Um, I'm I'm in shorts, and I will probably be in shorts for another little while, but um, not a long while. And I I saw some leaves; they were starting to fall. Oh, I so. am a fan of of summer, perhaps because my birth month yeah. is in the summer. Mm-hmm, I've always mm-hmm. thought that's why I like it the best. Yeah, but, but uh, you don't live in the south, so I don't live in the south. Yeah, have you been here during the summer in the south? It's basically like the summer in the north is the, I'm sorry, the winter in the south is like the summer in the north. Yeah, yeah. I have been uh, in South Carolina and Florida in Mm -hmm. July turning into August. It's great for a little while if you've got water. If you have water nearby, it's, you know, it's fun. I do enjoy exercising in that because you're already sweating anyway, standing still. So why not move around? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But air conditioning. Am I right? Am I right? Well, this summer, uh, we saw significant heat waves hitting many of our, uh, dear friends and families. Uh, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. a lot of people challenge, but I, I think that's, uh, that's past now. Um, so to me, that was just summer. That was just summer. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad we have successfully kicked off this episode by doing the very invigorating discussion of how's the weather. But but how is uh, how are things? Um, I am. It's it's like it's like planning season at Splunk, you know, and and just like new things are starting to. Well, we don't know what they're starting to do yet, but it, it gets interesting around this time of the year. And then we're kind of like you gearing up to, okay, it will be a new year and we'll make new things and take things in different directions. So I don't know how it's going to plan out. And even if I did, I couldn't say it, mm. you know, that would I be, like that would be inappropriate, that. but that would um, be inappropriate. It's, so it is an exciting time though. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's just like, okay, things are, things are happening. Would you say it's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year? No, no, that used to be October, but now oh, okay. that is July, which is yes. to say conf. Which connects back to the episodes that came out uh, just before this were mm-hmm. our uh, our recordings from conf, which was great. Always great uh, to yep. see you in person, to yep. hug you, 
to same. be with you, to hold mm-hmm. you, to love mm-hmm. you, to cherish you. Yep. And we'll, we'll dial it back. Just yeah. Oh, bit. okay. Sorry. Uh, family. Thank you, thank family you for show. letting me know. It's a family show. We want to. What is remain. acceptable? Yeah. Family yeah. friendly. We don't want to get flagged. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it was great. It was great being in person. It was great recording in person. Yep. It was great having Robin on. Um, had a great experience. And Which is not saying, a Jewish holiday. That's Robin Barry. Ramadan. Yeah, Ramadan. <laughs> not to be confused with Ramadan. Which is a Muslim holiday. Yes. I admire that when I have been editing and reviewing the episodes from Conf, the first mm-hmm. one starts... Uh, and I feel like I like, you know how they show the president and how the president ages during their term and like sure. their hair gets all like gray and their their stress takes on them. Sure. I, you could see that on me in the mm-hmm. different recordings we did. Really? So if, you at, <laughs> yeah, if you look at the first one, I'm which is funny because I, I did a Spartan race the day before we mm. recorded that or like two days before in, we recorded in that. Vegas. No, no. In, okay, in okay. Pennsylvania. But mm-hmm. I like when we recorded that first episode. I couldn't barely move. Oh man. I was so beat up. And um but like I I'm like clean shaven, my voice mm-hmm. sounds okay. And then like two days later, we're I'm watching, you know, the the third one we did, mm-hmm. and I'm like all like worn out, stubble, like tired looking, and my voice sounds like this. That's that's yeah. I don't um no, I just I just I just wake up and I I don't shave that much. Yeah. You don't? So, so to me, clean shaving is not really a thing. Yeah. But, you know, once a week ish, ish, just trimming, yeah. you know, just kind of trimming and polishing and waxing and I don't know. I should and waning. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking our guest is going to be here in a minute. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. to talk to Luis. Um, anything splunky that you're up to? Um, anything spunky that I'm up to, I'm doing a lot of work with our observability solutions. Okay. And so awesome. that's been really fun to learn about, mm-hmm. about those. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forget if we ever addressed this, but I switched into a role. I was working with developer success mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I've since switched into a role working with customers again. Yep. yep. Um, directly. Which you did previously, uh, a couple of years prior or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of my Splunk art origin story, orange mm-hmm. story. Uh, started in this capacity and then returning this to this capacity, and uh, is really fun. Um, awesome, and it's it's something that I've always had floating in the back of my head is returning back to this role. It's mm-hmm. a great way to stay like aware and informed on like what's important yeah, to people yeah. using the product. Like, why are we actually doing this thing? Why does any of this exist? Yeah. Um, and and helping them be successful and that's really really rewarding and validating mm-hmm. so uh that's been fun uh and yeah i've been exploring like our uh, realism monitoring and applications performance monitoring and our metric solutions um and i'm looking forward to playing with them more and more and and awesome looking around with them in my lab how oh, about how about you i think all about gdi lately oh yeah getting data in and um helping the team with um edge processor for example and Ooh. spl2 and um data S- processor edge processor uses spl2 right it does mm-hmm. oh. right okay. now it is the only product that that is using it i might be slightly inaccurate on that there might be another one that's in preview um or, or, or early stage um 
uh, or early launch over in the security side. Uh, I think they're also brewing up some things. But um, correct, SPL2 is um, the basis for how you write pipelines in Edge Processor. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's okay to say it's the only... It's available, right? Edge Processor is available today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it actually shipped February 13th. But Ooh. it was kind of wow, like a like slow, quiet launch kind of thing. .conf was really where it came out. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you can we can talk freely about what's what's up there. Nice. Um, and yeah, so I mean, if that's the, the only you know GA generally available thing with with SPL two, I think that's a reasonable statement. That um, well, you know, there's other stuff that is known in public that I can talk about there. Um, there is a. Um, so SPL2 will come to other things. We don't know what, when exactly. However, however, there is a preview program underway right now with it in enterprise. So, oh. but it's only for developers. So they want to get the developer experience right first. So it's probably going to be like an extended preview. And, um, uh, you know, we, we definitely, the, the PMs are kind of like collecting information about that, but it's, it's really interesting. I heard a ding. I think we've got someone else in the room. We do. Hi, Luis Bosquez Gonzalez. Did I say your name correctly? You did. Hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, we were just talking about you. Your ears must have been burning. <laughs> um, we also do that by design. We start recording before you join uh, for people who are new to the podcast. And uh, yeah, we're excited um, to talk with you. We determined we're either going to talk with you about federated search to Amazon S3 or baking tips. Yeah, or we're not sure where this is going to go, but yeah. we want to start. We want people to learn a little bit about you, Luis. So we're going to do with you like we do with everyone. And we yeah. want to hear your orange story, your orange story. So My orange story, your yes. orange story or your origin story, whatever you can, yeah. you know, but, you know, kind Take of what, way what back. Kind of How did you, you end up here? Yeah. How did I end up here? Well, this morning I woke up in the room next door um, and kind of like just walked over for a little um okay okay yeah. yeah short term yeah we've got a short term okay. origin story all right yeah okay can well, you go back just a little further no i'd like yeah, to believe he than... didn't exist prior to that room <laughs> <laughs> yeah further than real time uh yeah. yeah for sure uh i well my name is Luis, as you said and correctly pronounced uh while i cannot offer baking tips uh i do have some background on data and other types of uh, data products and solutions uh i I came from Mexico City. I was born and raised there. I was uh, part of a family of seven people. I am. I am part of a family of seven people. <laughs> <laughs> but I've moved left that them family all. a lot. <laughs> I am the only one. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, and, did you? Yeah. Um, did Did everyone come? Uh, come to the U.S. or is that uh, you only? Or how long were you in Mexico? Well, I was in Mexico for 23 years of my life, and then I happened to almost randomly choose computer science because all my friends were studying computer science and uh, almost randomly uh, joined a kind of like a Microsoft recruiting event and somehow ended up in Seattle. So that's how I ended up here. My, all my family's in Mexico still. You okay. make yourself sound like Forrest Gump. Like, I, I just <laughs> happened to be there. They were doing recruiting. I enlisted, and then I ran <laughs> across the country. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, my, my last name happens to be Forrest in English, oh, too. Okay. <laughs> Bosques means forest. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Forrest Gonzalez. <laughs> with, a, okay. with a Z, Forrest's. <laughs> yes, Forrest's Z, yeah. Uh, so you, you, 
accident oh, almost I have a, hold on I have a question Please? about Mexico City um don't know much about it but I know that it's very large how, how what is the the um you know the the metro in the United States that you would compare it most to if you had to mm. oh I think it really it really compares with New York City because um in many ways right I think in Mexico City a lot of people live outside of Mexico City but commute to Mexico City yeah so it's like a flooding of people that come in every day uh you know 7 till 10 a.m it's impossible to move around in the city so maybe new york is a good comparison okay all right good to know good to know so that's the correct answer seattle (laughs) (laughs) good job good job good job so so you're in you're in seattle you're working for microsoft What, what did you work uh work on there so I worked on uh, SQL Server, uh, one of the most mature database spaces. Kind of intimidating for someone coming out of college to be like, "Hey, like, what are indexes? What is like, what is a clustered index, and why am I supposed to make a decision on it for as a PM?" Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I spent about five to six years in Microsoft working on like different types of SQL Server. Everything. I mean, I guess that background. after the internship, they hired you. Otherwise, five to six years is a very long internship. Or was it a recruiting no, event? It was. So I did intern. I actually skipped through that. Uh, I did intern for three summers in a row. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed the intern life, which is a sweet life, definitely. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then that's when I worked in SQL. I actually worked in SQL throughout all my internships. And then eventually I joined full time for that. Nice. Uh, so and then you were there yeah. for five or six years, you said, doing doing that? Yep, doing all database stuff, database in the cloud, database is not in the cloud, database is in Linux, in Windows, et cetera. Awesome. So you learned a lot about um, kind of like data theory and, and platforms and, and the you know, kind of the constraints on what the platform that the database runs on and how that, you know, gets the affects the features. Any just like, you know, interesting challenges that you hit there that, that come to mind? Yeah, um, there was an interesting thing going on at Microsoft when I joined uh, full time. Uh, there was like this whole, like Microsoft had become aware of this whole thing called open source spaces. They're like, what? People don't pay for software? What is, <laughs> how is that possible? It had grown big enough that it attracted the attention uh, of multiple Microsoft executives. And so many teams were tasked with the idea of, hey, how can we integrate into this ever-growing kind of like platform? So uh, there was an idea of introducing SQL Server to Linux. And if you know anything about SQL Server is that it's been primarily Windows. 100% Windows, right? That and was so a big deal. It was it was huge, but like huge with certain audiences, right? You have to be a database nerd or an operating systems nerd to understand the um, the different kind of um, implications there. Uh, but also, let me know if you can hear me correctly. Uh, You're great. I think it's just okay. me. So for the folks listening, I type. And then that disrupts everything that happens. Yeah, so. just say, it, just say. It. <laughs> Hal, Hal was trying to tell us that he's got some audio drops going on, uh, and he was being very kind. I was uh, trying. There you I was are. trying. I failed yeah. uh, entirely at that. <laughs> but Please it's like when you do a presentation, right? You can either read or you can you can listen, but you can't do both. So we all right. Yeah. Y'all can't. We're do we're, both. we're single threaded as humans, yeah. right? <clears throat> well, so, I am single threaded. <laughs> did you work? Did you work on? Um, uh, we were talking about the open source, you know, yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, so I worked on SQL Linux, and I think the interesting thing about it is that uh, I joined in this team. There were multiple principal level, um, you know, engineers, like many architects. But the only person who could use a Linux shell was me because I <laughs> saw that in college, and it had been a while since they had been in 
university studies. So we were all learning at the same time. And I was like, oh, you, you use this command, you use this thing, et cetera, for the Linux environment. Wow. So it was an interesting space for sure. Awesome. Oh, so cool. uh, did you join for that? Say Sorry, that again, Hal. You're, you're choppy. Then it is my side that we understand that. Um, yeah. Did you join Splunk after that? Uh, yeah, I spent um, a year working in Amazon, and then I decided that, you know, data is what I like. And uh, it, it wasn't a theme at the time, but I liked resilience. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, sure, I'm going to join Splunk and meet with some co former coworkers out here. Oh, nice. Um, so now let's connect that back. Like, how do you connect that background to what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, or or let it, me actually ask this way: Were you hired to work on this project, or did you come to Splunk and you were working on something else, and then you were like, "I want to do that"? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I so I joined Splunk just to join distributed search. Uh, I don't really think I had a scope in mind before I joined, and um, it was when I joined where I had the opportunity to pitch Federated Research First 3 because the engineering team was working on a very similar project. Um, and so, yeah, then tying it back to my experience, yeah, I have a lot of cloud influence and cloud is a big part of the strategy. Not Obviously not all of it, but it's a big part of the strategy. So uh, I I think that kind of influenced the, the proposals that we had on, from the product side in that time. Wow. Okay, so you came in, you're working on distributed search. And then they were they were looking at something similar, and you were like, "I I want I want to be there." Yeah, exactly. So the team was working on a feature about um, data model acceleration, Ooh. and the feature said, "Hey, you can write to Amazon S three and read from Amazon S 3 So then um, I was like, "Wait a second, you can read from Amazon S three <laughs> and and they were like, yeah, yeah, we rewrote that entire thing too. We've been working on it for three years. And I was like, <sighs> could we release that as well as a separate feature? Because, you know, the may like, well, the benefits from that, like, I yeah, can like see some promote... scenarios. It's almost yeah. like they just wanted to sort of roll out this thing that is actually quite incredible, but they didn't realize how awesome it was. Right, exactly. And, and I saw it and I was like, this seems huge. Um, so we did the whole PM thing, you know, uh, other than just joining meetings, PMs also write documents. And so, <laughs> so we wrote that whole, like, um, you know, PRFAQ, press release, uh, explaining the future. Uh, people liked it and they said, okay, you maybe could do that. <laughs> and so okay. that's how we started working on it as a feature of Federated Search in that time. Nice. So go ahead, Hal. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, um, okay. so searching against data in an object store in yeah. an object store that's not local it's over an api that is not the type of feel and not the type of performance characteristics that you can do with your local splunk index so what does that mean for this feature and how folks will expect to use it and what they what they'll get out of it yeah no, and that's a very fair point because when you present uh a database feature, right? The first thing that comes to mind is what is the cost and what is the performance, right? And so uh, data in Amazon S3, as you mentioned, is data that's sitting raw, right? No, nothing's touched it, nothing's processed it. Data that's sitting in Splunk has been indexed. Uh, there's like very advanced artifacts that search engine uses to, to, to correctly parse it and do it as fast as possible. 
So uh, when we introduced this feature, we didn't think of it as a feature where you would get a gain in performance, right? You don't use Fed Search first to improve your performance. However, the main critical aspect is there's no data movement. So you didn't have to bring that in, that data. And, and here's the part that I think a lot of times we kind of missed uh, as engineers and like, you know, we're having these discussions is that it's not trivial to move data, right? Uh, the, the amount of data that enterprises generate is measured in terabytes per day, right? That's still, that is already incredibly huge. And so when you ask someone to bring data in and then say, move a month worth of data, right? You're already looking at at least 30 terabytes of data. Like that in alone is an operation that would strain any any network, right? Any sort of um like, mm -hmm. like I think there's a there's a famous like Google interview question that says, uh, how would you like move around a big data problem? Like, how would you move around 30 terabytes of data? And oh wow, you, the, there's one, only one right answer is you don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the one of the creative answers that you'll find online is why don't you store it in a USB flash drive or like multiple and then ship it? Because it'll be faster than like sending it through the wire. Right? Oh, so wow. still a solution. <laughs> yeah. So um, that you have to bake that in and those expectations are different. So does that lead to people using it for different reasons? I mean, if the price and the performance are this, therefore, yeah, what, like, why is that important? Like what, what I guess building on that question, I am so curious about what kind of use cases you thought it would be used for, you know, like high volume, low value, or like exploring data before bringing it in or archiving. Um, so there's that, but like, also we know that our customers tend to do things that we never anticipated that are just brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if there's you know, it, it hasn't been out for Those years, fun. Yeah. but yeah. Like, has there been any, surprises? what are you learning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think the main thing is understanding that there are cases where you need to search data once and, you know, the typical Splunk, um, pipeline into ingesting into Splunk is optimizing for, it has an assumption, right. That optimizes for searching that data as many times as possible, just because it might be beneficial. So I think that what we, kept finding out is that uh, there are times in which there's you generate data sets as a customer that you know they may be there you may want to search it but it's not something you're interested on a daily basis right i try to stay away from the terminology of the value of data right because i think all data is valuable um, but there are data sets that you need to read more often than others and that's where we hit like the nail uh, actually, I'm terrible at US idioms, so you're going to have to help me out on this. <laughs> no, just nail walk... the head. Yeah, no, everything looks like a hammer if you have a nail. Uh, sorry. You got that, there. I, I... You got there. You nailed I appreciate it. That. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, we wouldn't screw you. We're not That's a bunch a of tools. Tool. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Figuring out puns uh, as I like migrated to the US was like mind blowing. I was like, wait, what? How are people using these? Phrases is this grammatically correct? I didn't see this. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to but, come off like some kind of flathead. <laughs> you're still going. So there's got to be one more there. <laughs> oh, you think so? <laughs> I'm hoping. I not. feel like at this point it, it should be someone else's torque. Uh, <laughs> I'm just okay, gonna let's ratchet it back wait. to what you were saying. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, so it, it was around like April of last year, uh, we started like some sort of customer preview, right? We had an MVP. Uh, we deployed it in a way that was minimal viable products. Just minimal I, viable I like products. to try, yeah, translate the acronyms. Right. Not most valuable player. Yeah. Minimal Could be, but product. it's not this time. Yeah. Right. Um, and then uh, during this customer experience, right, a couple of things came up that, you know, we weren't expecting. Like we ran surveys, we ran all sorts of research, right? But nothing beats giving someone a product and then watching them and then seeing what they do with it. And so people started saying, oh, like I have, I so sometimes have to um, go back in time, find evidence, uh, and then, you know, like read a bunch of data just exactly once to fulfill this audit, to fulfill this investigation, et cetera. Um, especially it came from like one large retail company that I don't think we can mention here, but it's basically one of the things that, that happened to them is that they had a they they had a request from court to like get every single instance when a product on a retail website was uh searched for or at least accessed oh my god massive task right yeah. wow yeah and they had with splunk and, and they were using splunk to track their web traffic so they the thing that they had to do was they had to make room in their ingestion pipeline right they have a Ingestion is 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 something that they budget for. Ingest bits of that historical data time by time, search it exactly once to see if the records were there, then delete it and then bring in more data, right? It's it's a task. That's, that is awful. Where was that data stored actually? Because it obviously wasn't in Splunk at that point. You know, I don't have that detail, but it might have been a cloud object store, right? Because okay. I we where can else kind of assume, yeah, okay. Right. Um, so yeah, they br brought it in, searched it exactly once, deleted it. Like obviously they talked to Splunk to help out for that because it was a massive task. Um, and then they heard about this feature and they said, we could have done this in a few hours. Whereas today, like when they had that instance, it took them somewhere about like a couple of weeks to a month. It involved like multiple engineering teams. It involved people from Splunk support, from Splunk professional services. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's where we really like change our entire mindset and we said wait a second this is a real use case and this technology provides everything that this needs so what kind of what types of data do you find that customers will want to um, persist in s3 versus what may, maybe they do want this to operationally you know be sent straight to splunk and it will live in you know tsidx the those buckets right i think primarily logs um i think it's it's not I would position this as not a question of what type of data, but how recently it was generated. So for example, data that is generated more recently is typically, there's typically a need to access it more frequently. Like for example, uh, my, my manager, Bharat, he makes a really good analogy with, uh, with photos on your phone, right? Um, you took a couple of photos last week. Chances are that you're gonna show them to people, that you're gonna see them yourself at some point, you're gonna share them, et cetera, right? Uh, it's more likely that you're gonna consume those photos within a week, within a few days than last year, right? Unless you're really, really nostalgic and you're like, oh, wait a second, let me go back to, uh, you know, where was I in the summer of 2021? Oh, it was lockdown, Never mind. let's no photos then, <laughs> you know, that sort of deal. 
So, yeah. Hal's just being distracting and changing, showing off all the different art he's created <laughs> for his. Yeah, I've got I've got different photos, so I, yeah. I decided to lean into that. Luis, you had me thinking about my um, pantry. Like, I bring groceries in; they get put in the front, or like clothes. Like, it's <laughs> it's you know last in, first out so often. But yeah, like older, the older, the more recent the data, the more likely you need to to view it, mm-hmm. get value from it. You want to know. A, gr- a great way of framing that is like, I don't need to know the health of the platform a year ago, unless I'm comparing it like year over year. But, you know, like a year ago, it's passed, it's done, it's over. But the health of the platform or like a security incident or whatever, like what it matters what's happening now or mm-hmm. or near to now. Um, yeah. So those things, the need to use them diminishes over time. Also, I really admire your golden chalice that you keep drinking from. <laughs> Sorry, I'm all right, let's see this. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is from the first Starbucks, um, which is up in Seattle. There was a clearance section, and it was probably the smallest cups that I could find. Oh, what? <laughs> That's section? how I ended up with it. Clearance. So. Oh, clearance. I thought you said clearance. a clearance section, and I was like, you mean like <laughs> uh, irritating people? <laughs> Well, I could see an intersection there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the clearance section ca- carried these, and I was like, "Oh, I need, I need Cortado cups." So yes, yeah, it is flashy though. I'm not gonna lie, it yeah. is flashy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, okay, so the data, yeah, as it, go, it gets older, relevance become or you know need for for referencing it go you know ages out and but, as you were. Yeah. But hold on a second, please. So t- let's lean into that for a second. So the the maybe the data life cycle. You've got you've got new data and it's hot and and we have these concepts in Splunk Index, right? You know, hot, warm, cold, archive. Those are the um, you know kind of the the activity stages of of buckets. So what was needed that was new here in the sense that we have to look at this object store? So I feel mm-hmm. like there's something important about the object store. Why is the data in an object store um, as opposed to anywhere else? Yeah, like if you were to compare it with uh a similar construct like like a cold, deeply cold archive right why can't that be in the deeply cold archive and i think the assumption is still the same uh, you know if you have any cold storage there is a process of thawing that has to be done on it because it's probably been heavily compressed uh probably been in a format stored in a format that is uh storage optimized um but the the key thing is that there is a step before you have to search that data that you have to do, right? And it all comes down to convenience, right? Is it convenient for you to say, hey, engineers, do you please like unfreeze this set of data so I can search it, right? And I think that's also true for Splunk um, uh, archival solutions, right? There is a rehydration process that you need to do to bring it back into searchable. The question is, is it worth to go through all of those steps in order for you to just search that data once. Oh yeah, it's like right. I put in like three hours of work just to spend a few seconds searching this and realizing I don't need it. Right. Right. So, so how how does this um tie into other things? Can you use it anywhere that you would write a search and you'll know, have it show up in your dashboards the same way? How how do we literally would a customer use this feature? Yeah, I think um, the main thing we see is. Um, time range searches. So you go into Splunk, you, you type in your search command and you look at the time picker and then go back in time in that time picker 
Uh, what we will do is we'll translate that into search parameters that we will send back into Amazon S3 and then retrieve from that. Um, we, but you know, it's at the end of the day, it's an SPL search. So you can plug it into a safe search. You can plug it into a, uh, a dashboard, uh, a report, uh, visualization, for example, Any, and anything with SPL. File. Right, exactly. Anything with SPL, uh, it, it's the it's the vision, right? That it works just as any other search in SPL. Do you have to so write it, the search different, like to identify? Yeah, that's what I was going to get into. Is there different you know. index? Do you have to refer to an index? Do you have different SPL commands? Yeah, so uh, that's a very good point. Uh, we we're introducing it with one new command called SD Select. Stands for Structured Data Select. Uh, just you know, the name we use to identify data sets that sit in, sit at rest that you have created a schema for. Okay. Um, and and yeah, that's how you would identify it. And it goes against that federated index, which is a construct, right? It's unlike a typical Splunk index because this is no not representing data that's been stored in Splunk. Mm -hmm. It represents data that is sits somewhere else, and we use the word index to to signify something more of a pointer, right? We're pointing to this data that sits away mm -hmm. that you treat as an index because you can read it from it, uh, you know, execute commands that are SPL-like for it and everything. Okay. We've had some similar-ish concepts in the past um, where you could create a virtual index. It sounds something like that where, so I guess an administrator would go to where they configure indexes today and they would add a new type of index and federated search for S3 would be a new type, something along those lines? Right, precisely. We suppose additional information like how would you think of the partition strategy for this? Uh, partitioning is just a concept um, that's present in all databases, and it just means where do you divide your data physically? Mm -hmm. um, and then we ask you as a Splunk admin, like where in Amazon uh, AWS it is, like what's the name of the account? Um, what is the time field? Yeah. Right. Etc. So does the data in Amazon have to be structured in a certain way? I was about to work? lean into that because he said that the search command is SD select, structured data select. And Splunk, you know, you're not necessarily thinking about that structure. Um, there's definitely cases like uh, uh, data models, for example, where, where you do, but a lot of times you're not. So how do we get from raw data mindset to what you're talking about? Yeah, no, and I think in order for us to get into this, we need to clarify what would mean what would we mean with structure because it's a bit of a charged term, right? It, it we should structure with... our definition of structure. We should. <laughs> to to start with that, like the structure of the definition of structure is no, just kidding. Um, the the way in which I've seen it being used in the in the data space is structure can either identify the data format meaning that the data format is rigid, right? It won't take any different types of values. Like for example, uh, CSV, right? CSV at the very top has a line that says, these are all the possible columns. Anything else is an error. Mm -hmm. So that's a structured data format, mm -hmm. right? But then you talk about structured data as from, from the perspective of if I read it, should I expect to, to know the fields that I'm about to search? And this is what I think of when we say structured data um, in, in, the, in the command. For example, JSON, uh, as a data format, you can put whatever you want in there, right? Oh, yeah, I know JSON. Array. <laughs> yeah, JSON, JSON, JSON Congress. Jason Congress. Yeah. yeah. Good old friend, JSON. Yeah. yeah. You can put in whatever you want in JSON mm -hmm. format, right? 
you can combine an array with objects with objects inside of the array of objects mm -hmm. with arrays of objects inside of the arrays of objects right like you mm -hmm. do whatever you want with it uh the key to it is that um you can build a table that describes the the schema of those json objects so therefore from a search perspective you can search the data as structured data even though json in itself does not enforce a strict structure okay so there's some data preparation it sounds like that's required before you can actually do the search well right. let me ask the question this way i think some people um and i think this is what popped up in how in my my and hal's mind um can i use this if i just have been dumping like logs into amazon s3 can i just point this at that and get going or are there requirements that the data had to arrive or be formatted or structured in a certain way before I, you know, do, do I have to know in advance that I want to be applying this to that data, this type of search? Right. That yeah. Sense. That's a great question. Um, there are no transformations you need to do on the data, right? Woohoo! Uh, yes. <laughs> but I, I feel like there's a but coming. Yeah. But oh. you do need to create a structure. Uh, structure view on it. I actually don't think it's too bad. Of a well, a view, a view is to... a great word here. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a view. You don't have to change the data. It's um, and we talked about you don't want to move the data because it's expensive to move the data computationally and uh, network, you know, network consumption wise. But you have to create a way for Splunk to know what it is you're actually looking at. Okay, right? that's the view. Right, exactly. Uh, the view in this case is a service that we leverage called AWS Glue for now. And what you have to do- That's a, a long um, name, AWS Glue for now. <laughs> yeah, and actually the full name is AWS Glue Data Catalog. And uh, so when you refer to a table, it's AWS Glue Data Catalog table for now. Okay. And we're <laughs> considering moving off that because of our vegetarian alliance, right? We don't want the horse <laughs> horses that are harmed in the glue. So AWS Glue. So this sounds like something that the customer does need to understand. They do need to use that in order to set this up for the first time or something? Yeah, that's correct. So it's a one-time process. Uh, you create a table. And what's a table in this case is just a, a schema definition. Mm. Uh, you basically just go to Glue and tell Glue, uh, these are all the possible columns, and this is the data format that you'd, you'd expect from these columns. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you say, this bucket contains that data, and that's it. You plug in, plug that information into Splunk, and then we can start. You can start sending um, as these select queries out. It kind of reminds oh. me of like like source types. Like yeah, in Splunk you could just send stuff in blindly, and Splunk will take like a best effort on it. But once you define the source type, it's like all the different fields in it unlock and become so much more valuable than having to do that on the fly when you're writing the search. And so in this case, it sounds like the, you know, you have to you have to create a definition that will allow the stuff that is going to be searched to have any sort of meaning mm -hmm. but you can do that right. on the fly you didn't and have i have like 10 more questions related to this topic i'm, I'm going to keep going yeah so so you've got this glue definition um can you have multiple glue definitions against the same object or file in that in that object store right yeah you can have as many as your business needs require and there's a lot of cool things you can do with it it's like saying um, you have this data set, but you're only interested in a few fields for this use case. You're only mm -hmm. interested in other fields for this use case uh, and so on. What Glue will do is that if it'll only understand the data that was provided in the definition 
um, for the glue table. So if it finds anything outside of that, it'll just treat it as a blank field. So in other words, let's say you got a table, it has um, say item, date, uh, and then a separate field for purchase. Uh, if it, you can create a glue that just says date and purchase or date and item on the same data, equal, both are equally um, unintrusive operations because it's just a one-time like schema definition. Uh, and it's only until you run the search that on one of them you'll see purchase, on the other one you'll see item if you need to search for that data. Can you permission those? Or working backwards, if you if you have, let's say that you've got data and it's got lots of stuff in it that um, certain people may be allowed to see, but certain people may not allowed to see, right? So there's data privacy concerns, for example. I guess you could create like um, an open version of this that shows everything and another version that would not show all of that data. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a pretty good use case for it. And you can even leverage like a, a separate layer on that, like a layer on top of that is the Splunk federated indexes, which behave like regular indexes in the sense that you can have roles assigned to them. So you could even take it one level deeper and then just have Splunk also do the filtering of that data. I mean, filtering as in the separation of who can view that data uh, mm -hmm. at the Splunk user level. So okay. roles can be roles in Splunk enterprise or cloud could be uh used just like an index can to constrain who can read this data or not is that what that's we're right saying? but oh, now cool. it's an abstract uh on top of the data so that means that you could do some more creative uses there mm. hmm, very interesting speaking of creative right. uses did, did uh i forget if you answered this did I'm jumping all over the place did you uh have you found customers using this in ways that you hadn't expected yeah, I think, um, you know, one, one thing we need to clarify is that uh, it's not GA yet, but, uh, you know, this will, it's about to go into GA. And by the time um, this podcast releases, I believe that it will be GA. Okay, perfect. So, Generally yeah, I think, um, so now we're talking in the past. So we've shifted yeah. the timeframes in our brains. It has released into the future. That's okay, the magic bring... of, of broadcasting. Yeah. We're not, we're not broadcasting me. live. We could. Hit the live stream button. No, no, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> um, could have prepared you better for that, to be fair. <laughs> so no, what, that, what have you learned okay. about customers that have been, yeah. you know, in the preview so far? How about that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, a lot of learnings are that any customer could have this investigation requirement, you know, going back in time. Um, some customers, this, this kind of blew my mind. Some customers are required to keep seven years worth of data searchable. Yeah. Right. That's intense. Long That's time. a lot. Yeah. Um, and then some other things we've learned. But they don't have customers... to touch it. They don't have to be searching it. They just have to have it. It has to be there reasons. available. So yeah. is this a right. very uh, helpful use case for that? Because now you can store it in that cheap, you know, S3 and yeah. Oh, cheap. That's that's a good question. I didn't think about that. So there are multiple tiers of different ways that S S3 can present that data to you and there's you i guess change those settings that would splunk wouldn't care right because it's it's we're just referencing that that bucket name yeah um it doesn't care as long as it's all standard and so maybe it does care a little bit um, okay yeah. what's Amazon the alternative uses... what, what can't you do 
Yeah, Amazon S3 uses a, um, a tier called Glacier. Mm -hmm. And so Glacier, it's also heavily compressed. It's meant for data that you just need to keep in the back. Uh, and that data requires, requires thawing. So okay. we cannot search Glacier data at this moment. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, so as long as you're no in one, standard, you can still do that. No one can search Glacier data out of the box. You have to thaw it, right? Right. Which Think is of it as similar. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's a concept that the Splunk admin will understand right now because we we do have the concept of freezing and thawing buckets um, in, for enterprise, and oh, uh, it's different in cloud. In cloud, you've got the um, I forget the exact name of the features, uh, dynamic data, one of the dynamic data features, active storage, active archive, archive. I think it's archive. Yeah, right. Self storage. Self yes. Yeah. Self storage is where the customer maintains the keys to that S3 bucket. And Active Archive, this is coming back into my brain right now, live. Active Archive is the one where we maintain the control of the data, but you get the button. You get to push the button to whether bring to re bring back. some of that data back. So we should mention this is an enterprise cloud only feature. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And is is there... it compatible with any S3 compatible That's object store? I like that question. Or is it? Only AWS. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's only Thank AWS you. for now. <laughs> oh, okay. For now. For now. For right. now. Uh, awesome. As a PM, I you can probably figure it out that I say for now for everything because I believe that anything can change. So yeah. yes, over an infinite amount of time. But as always, you should make your purchasing <laughs> decisions based on things that are available now. As Splunk uh, reserves the right to make whimsical decisions about its roadmap. Right. Also, but when exactly? <laughs> what? But when exactly yeah. are you going to have that what next day? Time? What time? Uh, Hal, I cut you off. I think you had another brilliant question. I might have. I don't remember. I was going to ask earlier, though, going back to the data structure, um, schema at read versus schema at write. That's something that that we talk about when we are talking to customers, you know, about the benefits of the platform. And you're making that decision when you bring that data in. You can you can say, you know, and then, or rather, the 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 data is the data, and you can make some decision. You can extract some fields at index time or not. You can do that at search time, and that's where you're defining that schema at read. This feature sounds to me like you get some of the benefits of that in the sense that glue is a little bit of that feel. Like you can change that structure. Um, are there any caveats uh, otherwise, though? So you can't change that at search time. You do have to have that, that glue table maintained in appropriately. Any other caveats we need to understand about that structure? Um, yeah, I think I think that's just it. You know, as long as you can create a table on it, uh, we can read it. Um, and that's a lightweight table, thing to do, right? That's not like a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's a one-time step. Uh, sorry, one-time process, uh, and then it's very rare for you to change your schema requirements uh, afterwards. But you know, we do allow editing the tables if needed. Say that one more time. He says very rare to change the schema requirements because that's not what you expect people to do, or because they can't, or well, if you think about that, think about it from a source type perspective, right? Each source mm -hmm. type has its own schema. Uh, whether implicitly or explicitly. And uh, the source type reflects data that's been generated with a certain purpose, right? So for the schema of it to change, the purpose must have changed of that source type. So therefore, imagine, for example, VPC flow data, right? It's just mm -hmm. IP address, times when you saw that IP address, outputs, mm -hmm. ports, et cetera, right? Adding a new column to that 
Mm-hmm. How could that possibly look like from a perspective, technology perspective, right? I will Did we answer change... that question. Yeah, the data format can change. I have a version uh, one of this firewall software and the log looks like this. The vendor makes a new feature and that adds a new column to that log. And now it's version two of that same thing. I have have the same use cases against that data, but now I could have more if I can uh, extract that column and that field out. I I think another common one is if you think about web, uh, like Apache logs, they, you, you, in the HTTP.conf, hbd.conf you can specify the output format of the you know the log statements if you were to change that it's not a name value pair so the the like a csv file almost like that like the order of the items may have changed and now the fields that are coming out are different and so those are actually opportunities where it might be best practice to create a new source type for that new Good. format. So the mm-hmm. old data format continues to be durable as it ages out. And this new one has all that rich new value in it too. Right. Right. There's definitely dependency on the specification, right? I think I think you're right in that in that regard. Um can you version of... the glue tables? Can you see you that version inside of Splunk? You can not. You see the latest version in Splunk, but Glue can have multiple versions per table. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Very cool. I think we can get there to the because I feel like the data formats can change of the same date. You know that there are cases um, that happen in the real world. I think um, so. Now it's just a, okay. Well, what's important for this, and you know how how we how customers will use it. We'll you know, we'll see. Right. That'd be really interesting. What else have we missed? Anything else? Anything that we like? What what should a customer do to get access to it? Or you know, mm. what what do they need to know um, going forward? Or you know, kind of like as we get you know, final parts of the podcast. Like what what's the takeaway here? Yeah, I think one other requirement we have discussed is we introduced a separate license for it. Um, oh. Wait, this so... costs money. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that reaction a lot, um, but the, it makes a lot of sense. And actually, I think this is a great medium to cover it because um, if you think of an investigation, right? Let's go back to the use case. An investigation today can be a very disruptive operation on your day-to-day usage. Right? Mm-hmm. Think of your typical Splunk search hit. There's daily usage going in. We see customers with thousands of searches per day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then an investigation can happen, like the need for an investigation can occur and then um, if you were to not use this feature, you'd have to do the task we talked about, which is ingest the data, search it once, ingest the data again, search it once. Mm-hmm. One side effect of that is uh, it will affect all other users because now you're taking up some capacity, mm-hmm. like in kind of a large scale because it's also historical data, right? So it's large in volume. You're taking up some capacity that your other users might be kind of, you know, needing. And so they might be upset about it, right? They might, um, you know finish all the coffee in the break room is revenge for you doing that, <laughs> et cetera. And so when um, when you started Research for S3, we thought about that once we realized that there is a need for uh, not interrupting this in the case, not inter- interrupting the operations in the case of an investigation. And so we are hosting a separate search service that is taking care of all the queries and that is taking care of all of the data processing that comes with that. So since we're no longer using the infrastructure that you acquired as a customer for your Splunk stack, we're technically not using SBCs, right? Because SBCs 
account for hardware representations in a virtual way. And, and so that usage goes now to a separate service. And for that, we decided to introduce a new license that is called data scan units. Uh, and that just governs how you search data at rest on a yearly basis, because investigations can also happen at any time during a year. Data scan. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So you you're you're going to enroll in this service and you're going to pay for data scan units up front. Is that how that works? Like a certain number of them? Yes, that's correct. Okay, gotcha. How okay. many how many scans you... usually come in like one unit of purchase? Yeah, so every unit represents 10 terabytes of data. So those 10 terabytes of data you could have scanned in like a thousand searches or one search is your choice as a customer. Okay, gotcha. So I guess you'd you'd issue a search and maybe, uh, I guess you can probably permission this whole thing, right? You can make it so that, uh, you know, you can control who has access to use those data scan units, basically. Right, by the means of the federated indexes, uh, role-based access control, yes. Okay, gotcha, all right. And then searches can be issued and then we will help, we'll count those up for you and, and show you how you're using it and then Okay. All right. It makes sense. What happens when you hit the limit? Does it, does it stop working? Yeah. Like that's a, the that's search a... will fail or. Okay. Like enforcement. Yeah. That's, there's no enforcement. Right. And I think this is one of the things that we were very intentional about. If you are in the middle of an investigation, time is of the essence. Right. And so it would really suck to like come up, come to the limit of your license and then like a window would pop up and say, call Splunk to acquire more and oh, more. No. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of very like, so we wanted to avoid all of that. And so uh, we allowed to go over the capacity. Uh, and another cool thing about it is that it's not going to present any performance degradation, right? It's not like, um, say, a, coming up with analogies here, but it's not like your car is like, you know, gasoline intake, right? Where if it's like closer to the bottom, it's like, it doesn't operate as efficiently as if, if it was full of gas. Oh, right. Bit of a stretch, but still. Yeah, I was going like, to say that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> like mobile data plans where like you go over and then they start throttling you. So you're That's, saying yeah. in this, right. it just continues. Performance and everything continues, uh, but you probably, I'm guessing, have a conversation. But you're not the... using your Splunk Cloud indexers heavily when that's, I mean, because it's it's the AWS service that is doing a lot of that work. It's a Splunk search engine that is doing a lot of that work that, is a, that we host as a separate service. Uh, it's not the search head, right? We also don't leverage the indexers for this. Mm, okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I see architecturally why that would be because it's not the one that's, um, okay. So we're basically the search is getting, uh, dispatched, if you will, over to AWS and that Hello. returns some subset of the data through that glue view. And then the search head is doing the marshalling of that and, I guess you could still, yeah, you could still manipulate that before it's even reached the to the end user, right? Because you, it's SPL. So whatever you want to do in that SPL command afterwards, after the SD select, you can still do that, right? I can do my evals and, and whatever. Right, exactly. I typically okay. demo eval, uh, time chart, uh, output lookup, input lookup, summary index, mm -hmm. all of that. So wait a second. Knowing that this would take... Um, time uh and then you know um it'll uh, consume as uh the data scan units what if i want to explore that data and you know kind of like persist that data 
How would I do that? Mm, yeah, you could uh, write to an output lookup file. You could write into a summary index. Um, okay, okay. We're, we're working on features in, in the future where uh, we will automatically optimize if you're sending like the same search over, like maybe mm -hmm. accidentally, or maybe you're exploring it in a different way. Uh, we will optimize how that translates to data scan units utilization. So okay. we're on your side, customer. Uh, we will we'll try to make this as, as friendly and as easy to use as possible. That's pretty okay. interesting. The, the summary indexing, I, you got my mind going like, okay, I'm doing an investigation. I got to find every time the product is is looked for or whatever. I don't need all the raw data that I just searched through. I just want any time it was that product was found. But now I'm going to do a lot of searching. I got to investigate, you know, the the IPs that searched and if they jumped and and you know where else they went. And so maybe I would stash the results of that scan into a summary index. So then I could do more repeated investigations on it where I do need that more Splunk-like performance. Right, or for a dashboard, for example, right? Every time you load yeah. a dashboard that contains the same data. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. So I, what's the primary um, variable if you want to run run this, you know, for your experimentation purposes while you're you're debugging that SPL, right? Would it be basically be the time picker? I mean, or can you do, uh, for example, um, what is the, the one that lets you filter the number of events uh, that are searched? Um, oh, head, head limit. Yeah, mm. there's sampling is another one, right? So, how would some of those multiple ways in the time picker affect the the cost of that search that's running? Would it work yeah, so as I would expect it to, based on my knowledge of SPL? Yeah. So the time picker would effectively limit the amount of data that you will scan if you're using partitioning, right? Uh, part, it's a, it's oh, we a didn't talk about that. Thing. We actually do need to talk about that, don't we? Yeah, I think, like, I think how it's much important. time we got. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, partitioning, think... it can be other than the date is what I'm hearing you say behind the scenes there. So the main partitioning strategy is date, right? And so that that's where it was relevant to, to that comment before, where mm -hmm. since it's partitioned by date, you only read as many partitions as you need to specify by your time picker. Right. Okay. Um, okay. There can be other partitioning uh, keys. For example, AWS CloudTrail uses a almost five keys part to partition data. That's mm -hmm. AWS account that generated the traffic. That's mm -hmm. AWS region, and then a combination of year, month, and day. So you could use all of that to filter your your scan, and that'll make it a lot more efficient. This is okay. parallel to like source, source type, host, index in the traditional world. Because right, it's like indexed fields, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool. Interesting. Right, right. All right. So, can the can the partitions change on that? I guess I guess the customer makes that decision when they're putting the data in S three. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of times, like when customers think about partitioning, it sounds like this very advanced topic that, like you know, requires you to really plan through and everything. The reality is that whatever source type you're reading, it probably already has partitions defined for it, right? Uh, CloudTrail will divide it automatically into these partitions that I talked about. VPC flow does the same. Uh, Okta access logs also have a folder structure. At the end of the day, partitioning is just a folder structure that the data is divided in. Yeah. That and that's what sense. we use. Okay. Okay. So then basically I, I would want to know that folder structure, that partitioning of the particular source type, and that will kind of help me write efficient searches against that data. 
Right, that's correct. And there is a bit of a task to know that partitioning structure in advance. Um, but do but we once expose you do, that you know, as hints inside of the Splunk UI? Uh, we could. At this moment, we don't, uh, just because it's something that um, you know we, we're still evaluating the need for. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's definitely ways we could do things we could do about it. Cool. Um, as we're coming to the end of our our time together, like anything else that uh, we didn't get to uh, touch on, or or maybe we jumped uh, to a different topic that you want to um, highlight. Yeah, I think um, you know the hot cold data um, is something that it's a paradigm, right? And and, it, and it's something that I kind of wanted to chat about because it's a little nerdy. I think it's something that it's a pattern that we see um, just in the nature of data itself, right? And it's something that I've definitely seen in my past life back at Microsoft where um, customers would often choose partition keys for distributed databases, right? Sharded databases. And so typically the partition that would see the most activity was the latest partition. And that was true for almost all customers that were using partition key as the, the time field as a partition key. So I kind of want to think that it's something about the universe that makes like most recent data a lot more interesting to the universe itself, like humans. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, historical data is more of a but need to need as needed access and things like that. So I think that the moment we've seen customers like adopt this mindset that, you know, think about your data from a peering perspective, from a recency perspective, uh, that's when they can most effectively apply uh, not only fetch search first three, but archival strategies, hot, cold, uh, warm tiers of storage, and so on. I think that that represents a more advanced way to manage your data and therefore uh, serve your needs as you try to read that data. Hmm. So I think we are about on time. We're I have one last question. Time. All right, you you get to close this out. Uh, the shirt. You came to the right trace. I definitely <laughs> missed when that came out. Is that relatively new? I, I got it from either. this Splunk employee store uh, back in 2021. So maybe it's part of the 2021 oh. fall collection. Oh, the fall collection. Oh. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to um, refer people to the Splunk history. Um, oh, shoot. And I can't remember the name of the website right now, of course, because I need it right now. But maybe I'll come up with it. Oh, uh Yes, uh, I think I know what you're talking about, but we can bring that up in our next recording because this one yes. needs to wrap up. This one needs to wrap up. Um, Luis, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Yeah. We had a great time learning from you and really excited uh, to play with this. Awesome. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. The Splunk Gallery. Yes. We're, we're going to have to have, we'll, oh. we'll talk to him maybe on a future podcast. Yeah. Thanks very much, Luis. It's been a pleasure. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everyone, and happy splunking.